everyone to the history with miss j podcast this is the first of a three-part series where i will be discussing and breaking down mackinlay's cantors if the south had won the civil war The book is basically an alternate reality created by Cantor on what he thinks would have transpired had the Confederate Army won the Civil War instead of the Union Army. Just to lay some quick facts. For those who may not know, the Civil War was the battle against the northern states, known as the Union, and the southern states, known as the Confederates. It ran from April 12th of 1861 to April 9th of 1865. The reasons for the war were many, but one of the main issues between the North and the South was that of slavery. The North wanted to be done with it and free all of the slaves but the south wanted to keep their rights to own other people against their will and to use them and continue to use them as free labor to continue to build the slave owners generational wealth now the civil war had consisted of one of the deadliest battles to occur to date on American soil, the Battle of Gettysburg. It was in this battle that over 50,000 soldiers were killed, but this was only a mere 8% of the total number of lives lost throughout the duration of the war. The total deaths in the Battle of Gettysburg reached up and over 610,000 people per battlefield.org. But in winning the war, the Union was said to be, per history.state.gov, able to, quote, demonstrate the strength of the United States, handle the sectional tensions that had complicated u.s external relations and abolished slavery unquote it was all of this that would lead america to becoming the most powerful country in the entire world but had the union lost the war and was forced to concede to the confederacy what would have happened to slavery would the slaves had ever actually been free? Would the U.S. have entered World War I in the first place? And would the United States have ended up the powerhouse that we all know it to be today? These are just a few topics that Cantor touches based on within his book. We will also touch base on these same topics throughout the course of this mini-series. Stay tuned.
the first topic I want to discuss is that of our 18th president, who was also the commanding general for the Union Army during the uh, Civil War um, from, from the start up until the, um, the end of the Civil War in 1865. His name was General Ulysses S. Grant. He led the Union Army to victory over the Confederacy in 1865 and then preceded his American heroism by serving as our 18th President of the United States from the year 1865 up until the closing in 1877. In the book, Cantor describes General Grant as that of the General of the Union Army, but instead leading the Army to victory in 1865. The book actually mentions him dying in a horrific horse accident. So the way that it was described was that General Grant's horse was not available at the time um, that he needed it. And he was trying to move out his troops, um, and he needed a horse ASAP. So he got on top of this horse that was not his normal horse, and the way it was described was the horse basically panicked and threw Ulysses Grant off of its back. They were unsure of whether or not he had hit his head on a rock um, because there was supposedly a rock nearby that had blood on it. Um, they said that he was bleeding from his nose and his mouth, like he was bleeding all over the place. They took him to a doctor who ultimately pronounced him dead in the year 1863, which is exactly two years before the end of the Civil War. But per the Philadelphia Inquirer, the fact of the matter is, not only did he lead the armies to victory in, 18, in the year 1865, proceeding his quote-unquote death that was described in the book, he actually did not die for at least another 20 years from throat cancer. Nothing even remotely similar to the um, events that Cantor created for the book. I thought that was extremely interesting how it was two completely different scenarios for this gentleman. Um, and although it was indeed uh, entertaining to read, um, it definitely was and could not be further from the truth. 
All right, fact number two. Um, I will be discussing another general in the Union Army who goes by the name of John Alexander McClernand. Now, in the book, Cantor states that once Ulysses Grant died in that horrific horse accident, that his that McClernand would um, proceed and and take over as the president of the United States. Now, I'm not sure if any, you all know who McClernand is, um, but General John Alexander McClernand was appointed general directly from our President Lincoln in the uh, year 1861. Um, and that was because he had made himself so readily available to gathering and, 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 and grouping together these volunteers to fight on the Union side of the Civil War. To fight with the Union for the abolishment of slavery, amongst a lot of other things. He appointed and gathered so many volunteers that President Lincoln um, had decided to go ahead and um, appoint him general as per battlefields.org. But in 1862, he had decided that he had put in, in enough work and he had proven himself worthy of having his own troops. At this time, he was overseen by Ulysses Grant. Ulysses Grant was his superior, and he felt like he needed to be an overseer for his own troops. So instead of going to Ulysses Grant, whom I'm assuming him and McClendon did not really see eye to eye, they were like not really the best of friends, Instead of going to him as one should to kind of, you know, respectfully go up the chain of command, what he decided he was going to do was um, surpass that chain of command and go straight to the top back to President Abraham Lincoln, the man who initially appointed him general in the first place, um, and asked for permission to have his own troops. And ultimately, President Lincoln um, decided to go ahead and grant him that um, to grant him that permission to have his own troops, and then his mission would um, had turned into um, he was supposed to take over the Confederate base in Vicksburg, um, and he, as he was in the process of completing that mission he runs into his superior Ulysses Grant who I'm assuming was not very happy about the whole situation of him going over his head straight to the president to ask permission to have your own troops and then to ultimately get this mission in Vicksburg um, that I'm assuming he um, him being Ulysses Grant knew nothing about until the last minute. 
So ultimately, Ulysses decided that he was going to assume leadership over not only his own group, but also this group that McClendon had suddenly put together without his knowledge. Um, but McClendon continued with his mission to Vicksburg, and somehow he failed in the most heinous of ways. And I say heinous because a lot of his troops died in that failed mission. and it ultimately led to McClendon being removed, quote unquote, from command by Ulysses Grant in 1863, which would have been the year that Ulysses Grant was killed in the book, um, and two years before he actually led the uh, Union Army to a victory over the Confederacy. Um, so I just, again, I thought that was pretty interesting, um, that they had him as, taking over as president, but in reality, because in the book it says he took over as president, and then he still failed the Vicksburg mission, somehow. But the fact was, he never took over as president, that he still failed that mission and was ultimately ripped from his position in the Army. Um, and again, that is per uh, www.battlefields.org, forward slash learn, forward slash biographies, forward slash John hyphen McClendon. Um, my third topic for this first episode will be about a confederate general now. We kind of went over um, two union generals, um, but this third one would actually be a confederate general who goes by the name of General Robert E. Lee who led the Confederate Army during the invasion of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. He ultimately fought Gettysburg against the Ulysses Grant in 1863. Um, in the book, it states that he won Gettysburg, defeating the Union Army. Um, but in reality, the fact was he lost the war in Gettysburg. Um, so Gettysburg occurred on approximately July 3rd, 1863. Um, and they felt that, well, per PBS.org, General Robert E. Lee had a, quote, preference for battle, unquote, um, that they believed um, assisted in him being defeated by the Union Army. Um, they stated in 1864 he had lost so many soldiers, so many of his soldiers had been killed, that the Union had an obvious upper hand in this battle um, and ultimately led to the Union taking siege over Richmond and Petersburg and Lee ultimately having to evacuate and surrender 
um, the remains of the Confederate Army in that area over to the Union Army, who was ultimately Ulysses Grant and his troops. Um, so that was uh, very interesting to me that um, that he was actually in war with the general we were just talking about. All right. So the fourth topic and the last topic for this episode will actually be the capital. of the Union during the Civil War was Washington, D.C., and President Lincoln at that time took extreme measures um, to imprisoning successors in Maryland in hopes of ensuring that Maryland, which was a slave state, did not succeed to the Confederate Army. Now, in the book, Cantor states that after Lee won the battle in Gettysburg, that Lee captured D.C. and ultimately led, ran, I'm sorry, not led, he ran Lincoln out of um, D.C. and into Richmond, Virginia, which is where um, it states that Lincoln would sign his letter of resignation and um, a letter conceding to the Confederacy. So ultimately, had the Confederate Army won the Battle of Gettysburg, this is ultimately saying that that general who won the Battle of Gettysburg would ultimately take what is now known as the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. He would capture that, run out the then president, who would ultimately concede to the Confederate Army. Now, the fact was, after the Union actually won the Civil War, I mean, not Civil War, won the Battle of Gettysburg, President Lincoln took crazy measures to make sure that Maryland, which was in that same area of Washington, D.C., um, did not concede to the Confederacy, um, and he also made sure that D.C. would become a, quote, the most fortified city in the world, unquote, per battlefields.org. They said it was completely impenetrable. They said enemy troops were afraid to attack Washington, D.C. because of the major defenses that were put forth by the president. But it was about two years after the Battle of Gettysburg that the 13th Amendment was actually passed and completely abolished slavery in all 50 states in America. They said the fact was that Lee, General Lee, not President Lincoln, ran south after his defeat in Gettysburg. How about that? So until next time, 
dream big, live big, learn big. See you next time. Hi, everyone. So we are back for our second episode of this podcast um, where we are discussing McInlay Cantor's If the South Had Won the Civil War. In the first episode, we discussed the Union Army Generals, Ulysses Grant and John Alexander McClendon, both who fought for the Union Army in the Civil War, but two who had very different outcomes of the war. Uh, Ulysses Grant lived to see the Union Army's victory over the Confederacy in 1865, and then ultimately was later elected President of the United States, the 18th President of the United States where he continued to fight against the the inhumane actions of slavery. Unlike um, General John Alexander McClendon, who actually was appointed general by our President Lincoln in 1861, but after a failed mission, and a very contradicting um, relationship with his superior, who just so happens to be Ulysses Grant. He was actually snatched from command in 1863 after failing his mission to take over the Confederate base in Vicksburg. Um, And then we also discussed the Confederate general, Robert E. Lee, who um, led the invasion of Gettysburg, which killed over 600,000 soldiers on both sides. It is the bloodiest massacre to ever take place on American soil to date. To date. Robert E. Lee led the Confederates' invasion of the Battle of Gettysburg. Once he was defeated, once he was defeated, he actually was ran down south. He was ran down south after his defeat in Gettysburg. Um, The book ultimately had an alternate um, story about him winning that we also discussed in which he would take over Washington, D.C. and run out the president, um, where the president would ultimately uh, concede to the the Confederate Army. Um, So we discussed all of that in the first episode. Um, In this second episode, we are going to be... uh, Continuing our discussion, um, our topic being the 15th Vice President of the United States under President Lincoln. His name was Hannibal Hamlin. Hannibal 
Hamlin. In the book, it states that Hamlin became president after Lincoln's resignation after Robert E. Lee defeated Ulysses Grant in the Battle of Gettysburg. When the Confederate Army took over Washington, D.C., and ran President Lincoln down to Richmond, Virginia, he wrote supposedly wrote a letter of resignation and, con- and a letter of a letter conceding to the Confederate Army. Once that once he did that, what the book states is that Vice President Hamlin would take over as um, Lincoln's successor after his resignation, leaving it up to Hamlin to now negotiate new borders for the new Confederate states. Not only was he forced into this negotiation, but he also had to bear that unwanted burden of permanently conceding what we know as Washington, D.C. to the Confederate Army, who would ultimately rename it. But the only win I would say that Hamlin had in this matter was that he was somehow able to retain West Virginia for the Union. Now, this is what the book states. This is the ultimate reality that Cantor has developed. But the facts of Hannibal Hamlin per the millicenter.org was that President, I mean, not President, my apologies, that Hannibal Hamlin was the 15th Vice President of the United States under Lincoln, but and after Lincoln's assassination in 1865, after the end of the Civil War, Hamlin did not become president. Instead, Andrew Johnson was elected president. And he, Andrew Johnson, appointed Hamlin Boston's port collector. But he later resigned from that position because he did not agree with all of Johnson's policies and procedures. But he did go on to serve in Spain until he retired in 1882. So, as you can see, his life kind of uh, proceeded at the death of Lincoln in two completely different ways in comparison to the book in reality. Um, But uh, although the one with Cantor was actually a lot more entertaining in my opinion than fact. But that just doesn't change the fact that fact is fact. Um, Our next topic we're going to be discussing is the one you've all been waiting for. The abolishment of slavery. Now, slavery was officially abolished in the United States of America 
on January 31st, 1865, by the passing of the 13th Amendment, which states, and I quote, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as punishment for a crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Now, in the book, it states that slavery would have been abolished in 1885, which is approximately 20 years after it was actually abolished. It states that slavery would have been abolished in 1885, but only after the Confederacy realized how behind they would have been in comparison to the rest of the world. Per NPS.org, quote, Jeffersonian Party would call for the, ab the abolition of slavery and gain support of Stephen Dodson Ramsor, Robert Rhodes, and John Pegram, whom were all soldiers of the Confederate Army, and all had died before the end of the Civil War in 1865. Stephen, who had actually left the U.S. military to move to Mobile, Alabama to join the Confederacy, James James Longstreet was a Confederate soldier from South Carolina who joined the Confederate Army to fight the Civil War in July 1861. But after the Union won the Civil War, he moved to New Orleans and somehow had a change of heart. He began advising others to support the Republican Party. He began supporting the North and criticizing the South which did not blow over too well with his former associates. But this is where his opinion stayed until his death in 1901. But the books names, but the book names him President of the Confederate States in 1885 and states that because the decision had been theirs and theirs alone and not one that was forced on them by the Union, there were no underlining hatred, which ultimately stopped the white supremacist groups such as the KKK, which arose in 1865, from arising in the first place. So again, in my opinion, it was about power and not about the well-being of people. So, the gentleman who in all actuality fought for the Confederates, later 
um, later decided he wanted to change his, he had a change of heart or a change of opinion, later decided to support the Union, support the North, although he was still residing in the South. I would assume he adopted a lot of enemies who were former friends, former colleagues, maybe even family members. But he stuck by that until his death in 1901. But in Cantor's book, he states that once the Confederate states and the Union states separated after the South won the war, that this gentleman, this same gentleman, James Longstreet, would become the president, would become the first president of the Confederate States. And would later, in 1885, abolish slavery, nearly 20 years after the North abolished it. And again, it wasn't because they cared about the slaves. It wasn't because they wanted to be better people. It wasn't because they now could see and understand the the inhumane treatment and how it's not right for them to treat people like this. It was because they were suddenly falling behind as the Industrial Revolution kind of began to take place in the North. And they were still doing things very uh, uh, manually. Everything was manual at this time, and they felt like they could put themselves in a better economic position if they kind of follow suit with the North and go ahead and abolish slavery. And again, they're saying that it was because they had the power of choice, something that the slaves never had. They had the power of choice to abolish slavery and it wasn't something that was demanded of them by the government and the president that it was because of this fact that white supremacist groups such as the kkk never even became never even came into existence could you imagine the world had the KKK never been created. Because if they had never been created, then a lot of groups that follow their dynamic and their blueprint would also may have never been created. Um, But again, this is just alternate reality created by a very talented author um and it's extremely entertaining to read and to allow your uh, imagination to run wild but the fact still remains that slavery was abolished and because of that these hateful white supremacist groups were created and they and with the sole um goal of tormenting and instilling fear on newly freed African Americans. This is where lynching became a thing. 
you could be lynched for looking in the wrong direction, being perceived to look in the wrong direction. They could snatch you out of jails. Mobs of men, white men, could snatch a black person out of a jail cell and and lynch them with no consequences. They could snatch you from your home. With, no, with zero consequences. So, um, just moving on. Um, the next topic I am going to discuss is that of... That of um, the war against Spain. In the book... It states that the Confederacy, the Confederacy went to war with Spain, not the Union, because now the United States is two separate countries at this point. You have the Union, you have the Confederacy. The Confederacy went to war with Spain, not the Union, and the Confederacy seized and annexed Cuba which would eventually be ran by Rail Stewart as the first governor of Cuba. This is what the book is explaining. But the facts per history.state.gov that in 1898, the United States declared war against Spain as a whole. After they were constant fighting over Cuba or with Cuba, and it caught the United States' attention because of how close Cuba was to United States borders. In addition to the quote, the economic and political instability, unquote, that it was causing. Perhistory.state.gov. The United States somehow felt sorry for Cuba and Cuban revolutionaries who were fighting for their independence from European colonies. They felt sorry for Cuban revolutionaries fighting for their freedom from European colonies. This is the same country that is enslaving millions of African Americans. Not going to go into it. But it was because of this um, empathy they suddenly have for Cuban revolutionaries that the United States and Spain began having conflict. And then the U.S. battleship that was in the Havana Harbor, mysteriously sank in February of 1898. So by April, President McKinley, who was Union, was already sitting down with Congress asking for permission to intercede and establish what he called a quote-unquote 
stable government. And his reason was to not only protect Cuban citizens, but to also protect American citizens that were on the island. So ultimately, in the the war against Spain, the United States was able to assist Cuba in being freed from uh, European colonies, but in the in the same quick swoop, America was able to seize Puerto Rico and Hawaii, and ultimately make both of them states within the United States. So it was seen to me that they got a lot of bang for their buck. All right, so the last topic I'm going to discuss for this um, episode is Texas. Everything is bigger in Texas. Texas is the second largest state in our country and ultimately gained its independence from Mexico in 1836. But the book states that Texas became independent, seized Indian territory. So this continent, or this country rather, actually consisted of three different countries if that makes sense. So in the north, you had the Union states. In the south, you had the Confederate states. And then you had Texas. (laughs) Texas was just out there all by its lonesome doing its own thing. Um, And that, like, again, that was if the, the south had won the war, Texas would ultimately have remained independent from both of these countries. It would just be its own republic by itself with its own rules, just off by its lonesome. But the actual history of Texas, after it gained its independence from Mexico in 1836, um, instead of it remaining an independent country, it was proposed to be annexed into the United States in a treaty in, of 1844. In the treaty, under the notation that Texas would not, I'm sorry, that Texas would be a territory, not a state in the United States. And in return, the U.S. would assume Texas's debt and negotiate with Mexico southwestern borders. So they needed new borders at this point. Once they gained their freedom from Mexico, new borders had to be established. And Texas ultimately wanted the United States to help negotiate those terms. So when they sent the treaty over to the United States, the U.S. looked at it and said, no, Joe, no go. They were not going to do it. So what they did was they later submitted another treaty. But this time, it said that Texas would join the Union and the United States as an official state and would have to keep all of, of its own debt. Had to keep all of its own debt. 
but the United States would go and negotiate new borders with Mexico. So basically, the United States is the type of country where it's 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 our it's our way or no way, our way or the highway. Because ultimately, a lot of these other countries needed the United States more than the United States needed anybody else. So they had that power to walk around with a sense of confidence and 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 borderline tyranny when these other countries came asking for help so had texas not needed help with negotiating with mexico and had they not had this debt that they just needed help to pay off texas very well may have remained an independent place until the united states decided that it wanted that state too and they would more than likely invade the space and seize it as they did hawaii and puerto rico and every other country that was a part of the united states so um this is the second episode and i am going to uh go ahead and close this out so until next time dream big until next time welcome to episode three of the um our mini series where we are breaking down and discussing um cantors if the south had won the civil war um in the first two episodes we discussed a multitude of topics um consisting of two union army generals ulysses grant and john alexander mcclendon both who um assisted in leading leading the union army to victory in the civil war over the confederacy we also discussed a confederate general by the name of robert e lee who went up against Ulysses Grant directly in the most, um, in the bloodiest battle on American soil, that being the Battle of Gettysburg. Um, and that occurred on um, July 3rd of 1863. We also discussed, um, what happened or what would have happened to Washington, D.C. had the Confederate Army actually won the Civil War and um, how ultimately uh, President Lincoln would have had to concede to the Confederate Army and ultimately surrender Washington, D.C., which was our nation's capital, which would have ultimately turned into the uh, nation capital for the Confederate States. Um, um, and after, and in the book it stated that, uh, President Lincoln had resigned, um, following, uh, the, um, the Confederates' win of the Civil War and that, um, his vice president, Hannibal Hamlin, had, um, ultimately, uh, become president. I mean, that his vice president 
would have um negotiated new borders uh with the confederate state upon uh, the defeat of the civil war we discussed um, slavery and how it officially ended in 1865 but per the book and the book's events it doesn't um have it doesn't have it dated as ending until 1885 and only because the confederate states were worried about how um behind they would be on an economic um level in comparison to their northern counterparts because the industrial revolution was around and people were um evolving and things were evolving into a more um mechanical labor opposed to manual labor so that's why they ultimately had decided to uh abolish slavery in 1885 um and because it was their choice quote unquote um white supremacist groups such as the kkk never were never created and therefore never existed what a lovely world that would have been um we also discussed the war against spain um the united states went to war with spain in 1880 i'm sorry 1898 but in the book it states that it was actually indeed the uh confederate states that went to war um in the book okay so this episode we are going to discuss world war one um world war one which began um for the united states on april 2nd of 1917 when our president when our then president um wilson went um before congress and decided he wanted to declare war against germany um his reasoning for this was because germany had um did after agreeing to stop use of a uh submarine a warfare submarine i'm sorry a warfare submarine that although they agreed to stop using it in all in all actuality did not stop using it and president wilson stated that it went against their pledge so he decided that um he wanted to basically declare war against them for not keeping their word um but this was also because it was mentioned that germany had been talking to mexico um secretly hoping to persuade them to become germany's allies against the united states so because of everything and all the issues congress gave him the okay to go ahead and officially declare war against germany but it ended up not being against germany alone but it also included austria and hungary um now in the book this whole scenario kind of uh kind of plays out slightly differently in the book it states that um that the united states the confederate states and texas um decided to all come together to declare war against germany ultimately entering into world war one as a united front 
um the book also stated that um they all entered world war ii pretty much the same way as a united front i guess they finally understood that they were stronger together than they were separately um and later in 1961 they did decide decide to officially reconcile um when there had become an issue with the soviet union um so in the book it states that it was about the 20th century when the three countries began to increase um their um economics um began to um i'm sorry it was about the 20th century when the three countries had decided to um integrate their um economies um at an increased rate um and any barriers or um laws that would have uh denied um denied this from happening they were ultimately all removed so they could um they basically had free range amongst the three countries so that in one way one could look at it and say okay so at this point they were really one country but not technically one country is basically what I, I took from what he said um and also and and i think the the final straw was when the three countries suddenly they felt um threatened almost by the soviet union and the missiles that they were using um in or around alaska i believe it was um it was because of this and how big the Soviet Union is, they knew for a fact that they had no chance if they went into this individually. So I think that's ultimately what made them decide, listen, we are better, we're stronger together than we are apart. Um, so one more thing I wanted to mention before I close out was, uh, so the fact is abraham lincoln was actually assassinated after um in 1865 after his victory um in the civil war against the confederacy i thought it was a little um ironic that uh the book states that he was also assassinated after being ran out of washington dc after the loss of the civil war um so it says he started in the law office in chicago but it also it also states that he was but it states he was assassinated in a theater so ultimately he still died of an assassination just in completely different scenarios um so just to bring this um, all together, 
for you. I ultimately believe that Cantor was extremely creative in the way that he designed the book and the storytelling in the book. Um, the way in which he explained his opinion on what he felt the world as we know of it today may have looked like had the confederacy won the civil war instead of the union and based on the ending of some of the topics we went over um more specifically the abraham lincoln assassination um and the ultimate unification of the confederacy the union and texas um i believe that cantor is basically trying to say that it would have all ended up the same way as the completed united states but would have taken longer to get there because of some slight changes in the story what will ultimately change you know who the uh ruler is who the president is laws boundaries um things like that but that the ending would still be unification um in factual history the united states became the quote-unquote united states in 1865 after the fall of the confederacy but in his book cantor states that the union actually uh transpired 96 years later in about 1961 in 1961 john f kennedy became president the freedom riders were riding through the segregated south mlk was um, a part of the civil rights movement kennedy imposed fines for buses that refused to ride i'm sorry ride colored people rosa parks it's it's 1961 we were right at like the center of the civil rights movement and major segregation in the south but the way the book explains it is we would have just been becoming a full country in 1961 so it's, it's kind of hard to really grasp and understand that to think that if the south had won that by 1961 we would be so far behind history that it's even scary to think about okay 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 look. to put it into perspective in a way in which that may be easier for you to understand it would be the equivalency of here we are right now in 2021 we are still dealing with um some racism and things of that sort but i think we have reached milestones in reference to women's rights the rights of minorities um 
colored uh african americans in particular we have a um a multicultural vice president who is a woman the first woman vice president ever the first black and indian uh vice president ever we've had a um african-american president barack obama uh the first black uh first lady and michelle obama you know we have women such as oprah winfrey um black women who is just uh doing just just uh magnificent things in the world for minorities and uh women in particular um so but if we were to look at this based on Cantor's timeline, we would be fighting battles, the battles of approximately 1925 today, according to my calculations. So to think of the battles of 1925, now this is before the Civil Rights Movement. This is before MLK was even born at this point. You know what I mean? Um so this is literally uh not too long after slavery was abolished where blacks literally had close to zero rights so to think we we will be fighting those battles right now it actually scares me because i have children two black boys that i am raising and to think that if the south had won the war right now i will be fighting to keep them alive not thinking about their education their future they're going to be future doctors or lawyers or you know uh physical like physical therapists football players whatever um that wouldn't be that would be so far from my mind because i just wanted to keep them alive from the day to day i want to make sure if i send my son to the store he's going to come back home and to be sure that nobody is going to break into my home and take my son from my home to kill him for something that he was accused of doing um and i'm mentioning that because that is uh very similar to what occurred with uh my boy emmett till to think and my son was about the same age now that Emmett Till was when he was murdered. So that is a very scary thought. And it makes me extremely grateful that the South did not win the war. And that although we have been through a lot as a people over these many, many years, um, a part of me, is I'm so grateful to my ancestors that they they were able to survive it to make my life possible and in turn making my children's lives possible and 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 their futures possible um but i have to admit the book was very entertaining to read um i'm glad that it did not occur that way um but it was it was entertaining to read and i uh if you're into history and alternate uh timelines and dialogues and things like that i would definitely um i would definitely recommend that but that is the end of this mini series i really hope you enjoyed listening um and until next time be blessed